Section 20 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 6. Containing about three weeks. Chapter 4. Containing sundry curious matters. As soon as Mr. Allworthy returned home, he took Mr. Blifil apart, and after some preface, communicated to him the proposal which had been made by Mr. Western, and at the same time informed him how agreeable this match would be to himself. The charms of Sophia had not made the least impression on Blifil, not that his heart was pre-engaged, neither was he totally insensible of beauty, or had any aversion to women. But his appetites were by nature so moderate that he was able by philosophy or by study or by some other method easily to subdue them and as to that passion which we have treated of in the first chapter of this book he had not the least tincture of it in his whole composition but though he was so entirely free from that mixed passion of which we there treated and of which the virtues and beauty of Sophia formed so notable an object, yet was he altogether as well furnished with some other passions that promised themselves very full gratification in the young lady's fortune. Such were avarice and ambition, which divided the dominion of his mind between them. He had more than once considered the possession of this fortune as a very desirable thing, and had entertained some distant views concerning it. But his own youth, and that of the young lady, and indeed principally a reflection that Mr. Weston might marry again and have more children, had restrained him from too hasty or eager a pursuit. This last and most material objection was now in great measure removed as the proposal came from Mr. Weston himself. Blifil, therefore, after a very short hesitation, answered Mr. Allworthy that matrimony was a subject on which he had not yet thought, but that he was so sensible of his friendly and fatherly care that he should in all things submit himself to his pleasure. Allworthy was naturally a man of spirit, and his present gravity arose from true wisdom and philosophy, not from any original phlegm in his disposition, for he had possessed much fire in his youth, and had married a beautiful woman for love. He was not, therefore, greatly pleased with this cold answer of his nephew, nor could he help launching forth into the praises of Sophia, and expressing some wonder that the heart of a young man should be impregnable to the force of such charms, unless it was guarded by some prior affection. Blifil assured him he had no such guard, and then proceeded to discourse so wisely and religiously on love and marriage, that he would have stopped the mouth of a parent much less devoutly inclined than was his uncle. In the end, the good man was satisfied that his nephew, far from having any objections to Sophia, had that esteem for her which, in sober and virtuous minds, is the sure foundation of friendship and love. And as he doubted not but the lover would, in a little time, become altogether as agreeable to his mistress, he foresaw great happiness arising to all parties by so proper and desirable a union. 
With Mr. Bliffle's consent, therefore, he wrote the next morning to Mr. Weston, acquainting him that his nephew had very thankfully and gladly received the proposal, and would be ready to wait on the young lady whenever she should be pleased to accept his visit. Weston was much pleased with this letter, and immediately returned an answer, in which, without having mentioned a word to his daughter, he appointed that very afternoon for opening the scene of courtship. As soon as he had dispatched this messenger, he went in quest of his sister, whom he found reading and expounding the Gazette to Parson Supple. To this exposition he was obliged to attend near a quarter of an hour, though with great violence to his natural impetuosity, before he was suffered to speak. At length, however, he found an opportunity of acquainting the lady that he had business of great consequence to impart to her, to which she answered, Brother, I am entirely at your service. Things look so well in the north that I was never in a better humour. The parson then withdrawing, Weston acquainted her with all that had passed, and desired her to communicate the affair to Sophia, which she readily and cheerfully undertook though perhaps her brother was a little obliged to that agreeable northern aspect which had so delighted her that he heard no comment on his proceedings, for they were certainly somewhat too hasty and violent. Chapter 5 In which is related what passed between Sophia and her aunt. Sophia was in her chamber reading when her aunt came in. The moment she saw Mrs. Weston, she shut the book with so much eagerness that the good lady could not forbear asking her what book that was which she seemed so much afraid of showing. Upon my word, madam, answered Sophia, it is a book which I am neither ashamed nor afraid to own I have read. It is the production of a young lady of fashion, whose good understanding, I think, doth honour to her sex, and whose good heart is an honour to human nature. Mrs. Weston then took up the book, and immediately after threw it down, saying, Yes, the author is of a very good family, but she is not much among people one knows. I have never read it, for the best judges say there is not much in it. I dare not, madam, set up my own opinion, says Sophia, against the best judges, but there appears to me a great deal of human nature in it, and in many parts so much true tenderness and delicacy that it hath cost me many a tear. Aye, and do you love to cry, then, says the aunt. I love a tender sensation, answered the niece, and would pay the price of a tear for it at any time. Well, but show me, said the aunt, what was you reading when I came in? There was something very tender in that, I believe, and very loving, too. You blush, my dear Sophia. Ah, child, you should read books which would teach you a little hypocrisy, which would instruct you how to hide your thoughts a little better. I hope, madam, answered Sophia, I have no thoughts which I ought to be ashamed of discovering. Ashamed? No, cries the aunt, I don't think you have any thoughts which you ought to be ashamed of, and yet, child, you blushed just now when I mentioned the word loving. Dear Sophie, be assured you have not one thought which I am not well acquainted with. 
as well, child, as the French are with our motions long before we put them in execution. Did you think, child, because you have been able to impose upon your father that you could impose upon me? Do you imagine I did not know the reason of your overacting all that friendship for Mr. Blifil yesterday? I have seen a little too much of the world to be so deceived. Nay, nay, do not blush again. I tell you, it is a passion you need not be ashamed of. It is a passion I myself approve, and have already brought your father into the approbation of it. Indeed, I solely consider your inclination, for I would always have that gratified, if possible, though one may sacrifice higher prospects. Come, I have news which will delight your very soul. Make me your confidant, and I will undertake you shall be happy to the very extent of your wishes. La, madam, says Sophia, looking more foolishly than ever she did in her life. I know not what to say. Why, madam, should you suspect? Nay, no dishonesty, returned Mrs. Weston. Consider. You are speaking to one of your own sex, to an aunt, and I hope you are convinced you speak to a friend. Consider, you are only revealing to me what I know already and what I plainly saw yesterday through that most artful of all disguises which you had put on and which must have deceived any one who had not perfectly known the world. Lastly, consider it is a passion which I highly approve. La, madam, says Sophia, you come upon one so unawares and on a sudden. To be sure, madam, I am not blind, and certainly, if it be a fault to see all human perfections assembled together. But is it possible my father and you, madam, can see with my eyes? I tell you, answered the aunt, we do entirely approve. And this very afternoon your father hath appointed for you to receive your lover. My father... This afternoon, cries Sophia, with the blood starting from her face. Yes, child, said the aunt. This afternoon, you know the impetuosity of my brother's temper. I acquainted him with the passion which I first discovered in you that evening, when you fainted away in the field. I saw it in your fainting. I saw it immediately upon your recovery. I saw it that evening at supper and the next morning at breakfast. You know, child, I have seen the world. Well, I no sooner acquainted my brother, but he immediately wanted to propose it to Allworthy. He proposed it yesterday. Allworthy consented, as to be sure he must, with joy. And this afternoon, I tell you, you are to put on all your best airs. This afternoon, cries Sophia. Dear aunt, you frighten me out of my senses. Oh, my dear, said the aunt, you will soon come to yourself again, for he is a charming young fellow, that's the truth, aunt. Nay, I will own, says Sophia, I know none with such perfections, so brave and yet so gentle, so witty yet so inoffensive, so humane, so civil, so genteel so handsome 
What signifies his being base-born when compared with such qualifications as these? Base-born? What do you mean? said the aunt. Mr. Bliffill base-born? Sophia turned instantly pale at this name and faintly repeated it, upon which the aunt cried, Mr. Bliffill, I, Mr. Bliffill, of whom else have we been talking? Good heavens, answered Sophia, ready to sink. Of Mr. Jones, I thought. I am sure I know no other who deserves... I protest, cried the aunt. You frighten me in your turn. Is it Mr. Jones and not Mr. Bliffill who is the object of your affection? Mr. Bliffill, repeated Sophia. Sure, it is impossible you can be in earnest. If you are, I am the most miserable woman alive. Mrs. Weston now stood a few moments silent, while sparks of fiery rage flashed from her eyes. At length, collecting all her force of voice, she thundered forth in the following articulate sounds. And is it possible you can think of disgracing your family by allying yourself to a bastard? Can the blood of the Western submit to such contamination? If you have not sense sufficient to restrain such monstrous inclinations, I thought the pride of our family would have prevented you from giving the least encouragement to so base an affection. Much less did I imagine you would ever have had the assurance to own it to my face. Madam, answered Sophia, trembling, what I have said you have extorted from me. I do not remember to have ever mentioned the name of Mr. Jones with approbation to any one before, nor should I now had I not conceived he had your approbation. Whatever were my thoughts of that poor unhappy young man, I intended to have carried them with me to the grave. To that grave where only now I find I am to seek repose. Here she sunk down in her chair, drowned in her tears, and in all the moving silence of unutterable grief, presented a spectacle which must have affected almost the hardest heart. All this tender sorrow, however, raised no compassion in her aunt. On the contrary, she now fell into the most violent rage. And I would rather, she cried, in a most vehement voice, follow you to your grave, than I would see you disgrace yourself and your family by such a match. Oh, heavens, could I have ever suspected that I should live to hear a niece of mine declare a passion for such a fellow? You are the first, yes, Miss Weston, you are the first of your name who ever entertained so grovelling a thought, a family so noted for the prudence of its women. Here she ran on a full quarter of an hour, till having exhausted her breath rather than her rage, she concluded with threatening to go immediately and acquaint her brother. Sophia then threw herself at her feet, and laying hold of her hands, begged her with tears to conceal what she had drawn from her, urging the violence of her father's temper, and protesting that no inclination of hers should ever prevail with her to do anything which might offend him. 
Mrs. Weston stood a moment looking at her, and then, having recollected herself, said, that on one consideration only she would keep the secret from her brother, and this was that Sophia should promise to entertain Mr. Bliffle that very afternoon as her lover, and to regard him as the person who was to be her husband. Poor Sophia was too much in her aunt's power to deny her anything positively. She was obliged to promise that she would see Mr. Bliffle and be as civil to him as possible, but begged her aunt that the match might not be hurried on. She said, Mr. Bliffle was by no means agreeable to her, and she hoped her father would be prevailed on not to make her the most wretched of women. Mrs. Weston assured her that the match was entirely agreed upon, and that nothing could or should prevent it. I must own, said she, I looked on it as a matter of indifference, nay, perhaps had some scruples about it before, which were actually got over by my thinking it highly agreeable to your own inclinations. But now I regard it as the most eligible thing in the world, nor shall there be, if I can prevent it, a moment of time lost on the occasion. Sophia replied, Delay at least, madam, I may expect from both your goodness and my father's, Surely you will give me time to endeavour to get the better of so strong a disinclination as I have at present to this person. The aunt answered, she knew too much of the world to be so deceived, that as she was sensible another man had her affections, she should persuade Mr. Weston to hasten the match as much as possible. It would be bad politics indeed, added she, to protract a siege when the enemy's army is at hand and in danger of relieving it. No, no, Sophie, said she, as I am convinced you have a violent passion which you can never satisfy with honour, I will do all I can to put your honour out of the care of your family, for when you are married those matters will belong only to the consideration of your husband. I hope, child, you will always have prudence enough to act as becomes you, but if you should not, marriage has saved many a woman from ruin. Sophia well understood what her aunt meant, but did not think proper to make her an answer. However, she took a resolution to see Mr. Bliffle and to behave to him as civilly as she could for on that condition only she obtained a promise from her aunt to keep secret the liking which her ill-fortune, rather than any scheme of Mrs. Weston, had unhappily drawn from her. Chapter 6 Containing a dialogue between Sophia and Mrs. Ulner, which may a little relieve those tender affections which the foregoing scene may have raised in the mind of a good-natured reader. Mrs. Weston, having obtained that promise from her niece, which we have seen in the last chapter, withdrew, and presently after arrived Mrs. Honour. She was at work in a neighbouring apartment, and had been summoned to the keyhole by some vociferation in the preceding dialogue, where she had continued during the remaining part of it. At her entry into the room she found Sophia standing motionless, with the tears trickling from her eyes. 
upon which she immediately ordered a proper quantity of tears into her own eyes, and then began, Oh, Gemini, my dear lady, what is the matter? Nothing, cries Sophia. Nothing? Oh, dear madam, answers Honour, you must not tell me that, when your ladyship is in this taking, and when there has been such a preamble between your ladyship and Madam Western. Don't tease me, cries Sophia. I tell you nothing is the matter. Good heavens, why was I born? Nay, madam, says Mrs. Honour, you shall never persuade me that your ladyship can lament yourself so for nothing. To be sure, I am but a servant, but to be sure, I have been always faithful to your ladyship, and to be sure, I would serve your ladyship with my life. My dear honour, says Sophia, tis not in thy power to be of any service to me. I am irretrievably undone. Heaven forbid, answered the waiting woman, but if I can't be of any service to you, pray tell me, madam. It will be some comfort to me to know. Pray, dear madam, tell me what's the matter my father cries sophia is going to marry me to a man i both despise and hate oh dear ma'am answered the other who is this wicked man for to be sure he is very bad or your ladyship would not despise him his name is poison to my tongue replied sophia Thou wilt know it too soon. Indeed, to confess the truth, she knew it already, and therefore was not very inquisitive as to that point. She then proceeded thus. I don't pretend to give your ladyship advice, whereof your ladyship knows much better than I can pretend to be but a servant. But, if Akins, no father in England should marry me against my consent, and to be sure, the squire is so good that if he did but know your ladyship despises and hates the young man, to be sure he would not desire you to marry him. And if your ladyship would but give me leave to tell my master so, to be sure, it would be more proper to come from your own mouth, but as your ladyship does not care to foul your tongue with his nasty name, you are mistaken, Honour, says Sophia. My father was determined before he ever thought fit to mention it to me. More shame for him, cries Honour. You are to go to bed to him and not master. And though a man may be a very proper man, yet every woman mayn't think him handsome alike. I am sure my master would never act in this manner of his own head. I wish some people would trouble themselves only with what belongs to them. They would not, I believe, like to be served so if it was their own case. For though I am a maid, I can easily believe as how all men are not equally agreeable. And what signifies your ladyship having so great a fortune if you can't please yourself with a man you think most handsomest? Well, I say nothing, but to be sure it is a pity some folks had not been better born. Nay, as for that matter, I should not mind it myself, but then there's not so much money, and what of that? Your ladyship hath money enough for both, and where can your ladyship bestow your fortune better? 
for to be sure every one must allow that he is the most handsomest, charmingest, finest, tallest, properest man in the world. What do you mean by running on in this manner to me? cries Sophia with a very grave countenance. Have I ever given any encouragement for these liberties? Nay, madam, I ask pardon, I meant no harm, answered she, but to be sure the poor gentleman hath run in my head ever since i saw him this morning to be sure if your ladyship had but seen him just now you must have pitied him poor gentleman i wish his some misfortune hath not happened to him for he hath been walking about with his arms across and looking so melancholy all this morning I vow and protest it made me almost cry to see him. To see whom? says Sophia. Poor Mr. Jones, answered Honour. See him? Why, where did you see him? cries Sophia. By the canal, ma'am, says Honour. There he hath been walking all this morning, and at last there he laid himself down i believe he lies there still to be sure if it had not been for my modesty being a maid as i am i should have gone and spoke to him do ma'am let me go and see only for a fancy whether he is there still pooh cries sophia there no no what should he do there he is gone before this time to be sure besides why what why should you go to sea? Besides, I want you for something else. Go, fetch me my hat and gloves. I shall walk with my aunt in the grove before dinner. Honour did immediately as she was bid, and Sophia put her hat on. When looking in the glass, she fancied the ribbon with which her hat was tied did not become her, and so sent her maid back again for a ribbon of a different colour and then, giving Mrs. Honour repeated charges not to leave her work on any account, as she said it was in violent haste and must be finished that very day, she muttered something more about going to the grove, and then sallied out the contrary way, and walked as fast as her tender trembling limbs would carry her, directly towards the canal jones had been there as mrs honour had told her he had indeed spent two hours there that morning in melancholy contemplation on his sophia and had gone out from the garden at one door the moment she entered it at another so that those unlucky minutes which had been spent in changing the ribbons had prevented the lovers from meeting at this time a most unfortunate accident from which my fair readers will not fail to draw a very wholesome lesson. And here I strictly forbid all male critics to intermeddle with a circumstance which I have recounted only for the sake of the ladies, and upon which they only are at liberty to comment. End of section 20